0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the legendary and award-winning series of life lessons known to the world as Tech Republic's Business Technology Weekly Podcast. This is the show where we talk about innovation and what it means for culture, business, and society. My name is Dan, and this is a special episode. We're talking about 10 years of Twitter to help us kind of figure out what the social network meant and what it was then and what it will be. Uh, I have a a great cast of colleagues, Uh, Jason Heiner in Louisville, Kentucky. Jason, thanks for joining the show.
1: Uh, Always happy to be here podcasting with you, my friend.
0: And uh, Bill Detweiler as well in Louisville. Hey, glad to be here. And joining from New York City, Scott Beal, otherwise known as Laughing Squid. Laughing Squid was at uh, kind of the epicenter, the heart of uh, the Web 2.0 explosion that happened uh, about a decade or so in San Francisco. And he and I both registered for Twitter within hours uh, of each other, but in vastly different circumstances. We'll share some stories uh, about the early days. But Scott, thanks a a ton for joining the podcast today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, So... Let's uh, let's start at the beginning, the the early days, and by that I mean with Blogger. So, uh, if if you're unfamiliar with Web 2.0, we have a podcast post show notes with some of the earliest screen captures of. Uh, Evan Williams, the founder of Twitter, he is now the CEO of Medium, and his first company, his first success in the venture capital backed innovation, web innovation world, uh, was a company called Blogger. A lot of us, myself included, got our start creating web content using Blogger. It was one of the tools where uh, it it made web publishing very easy. Prior to Blogger, you had to do all kinds of hand coding and uh, you know, or you had to follow Dave Weiner and, and kind of figure things out for yourself. Uh, and Blogger is something that that really simplified the process of creating web content. Uh, and he sold it for, I think, $12 million, which at the time was just a ton of money, to Google. And his next thing was a company called Odeo. And Odeo helped the, the kind of proto Podcasting world uh, also simplify. It was a, a tool that uh, um, it not just helped you host podcasts for creators, but it also helped listeners find and discover podcasts. And in fact, It was, although it's kind of been relegated to an afterthought now, it it really is one of the services that helped podcasting go mainstream. I don't know if you remember, but podcast was the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year in 2005, in large part (laughs) because of Odeo. I discovered Twitter and uh, a lot of what we now call social media, though the word didn't exist at the time, because... uh, a lot of us were hand coding XML and uploading files to servers and spend, you know staying up all night in order to, to get podcasts out to very small audiences. And uh, when Apple launched iTunes 4.9 in 2005, it was a great triumph for podcasts because that was the first version that, that let you sync, it had a directory of podcasts and it let you sync podcasts directly down into uh, your iPod, which was revolutionary at the time. But the effect of that was that it decimated Odeo and Evan Williams' service. So I remember one day in July 2006, logged into Odeo and saw this big bar across the top of the site. And the bar said, uh, hey, guys, we're, we're going to shut down Odeo. We're going to sell it and, and get rid of it. But we've started this new thing. It's called TWTTR, Twitter. And we think it could be really cool. So I signed up. I fired off uh, what we now call a tweet, and the rest is history. Scott, you were sitting – I was in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, the middle of nowhere. You were sitting in San Francisco. How did you discover Twitter?
2: You no, know, I don't know. Basically, we all kind of just joined at the same time. Like, you know, Everybody we hung out with were all early adopters and tried anything that came along. Um, I don't remember. I know that in Nick Bilton's book he talked about I think he talked about Ev and Biz walking around the party, this famous uh uh what was it, A Valley Schwag party, uh like signing people up. I don't remember if it happened that way. Um but yeah, I think it was in July, I believe, in two thousand six, and uh I don't know, we just joined everything back there then. And it was uh there was also uh, what was the other competing one that Leo or Laporte uh was uh, uh
0: Oh, Jaiku.
2: Jaiku, right, because he had a oh, launch party yeah. with those guys. at right around the same time, too, so it's like we all just signed up for all these things and not knowing how to, what they're going to do or if they'll be around even.
0: Yeah. Like I remember discovering your, your photographs and I think probably your Twitter account uh, from Flickr, which had just recently been purchased by yeah. Yahoo, and it was a real big deal, but you could it was the first place where you could upload high-quality photographs.
2: Yeah, there's all that stuff happening. 2005 is a huge year for that. Uh, all that yeah. stuff breaking out, Delicious and just everything, really. Um, yeah. It's a, but I don't know. It's funny. I don't know specifically how, you know. It's funny. I didn't hear about it on Twitter because that's how you hear about it, any new, you know, startup now. <laughs> so it wasn't on Facebook. So that is kind of funny. I mean, it could have been an IRC
0: channel. You know, I, I don't recall. Jason, what about you? Yeah,
1: so I, I do remember when I... First signed up I uh, we had this great product manager at Tech Republic um, back then his name was Sean Morton and uh, he was really into and Tech Republic had always been a community site Tech a lot of people kind of forget it but Tech Republic had, was one of the first sites that actually put a, put comments on every article and so this the, the whole web 2.0 movement um, we we're really bullish on and Sean was kind of leading the charge on a lot of that stuff he was integrating we had kind of our own version of delicious for our users uh that wanted to save their links both our links and then anything outside of it and some um some Flickr integration and, and things like that 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 sean had all masterminded and uh sean went to south by southwest in 2007 when you know it really that was when twitter yeah. really hit it big right was 2007 south by southwest that was, was like its-
0: march or so
1: yeah march exactly that was its big sort of coming out party so Sean comes back from that. Like, I, just, I still remember I'm like sitting at the printer, you, know, something we hardly ever do these days, but uh, sitting at the printer waiting for some whatever mock-ups or something to print out the, the latest thing, because um, <clears throat> we had this meeting. him and I had this meeting. And uh, so he comes he couldn't even wait till I got in the room, you know, like he had just gotten back from South by Southwest the night before. And uh, you know, I'm waiting at the printer to print out these things we need for our meeting. He's like, "Dude, you've got to sign up for Twitter." I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And uh, he says, you, you gotta, you gotta do this. Like, this is, this is the thing, and this is so cool. You know, it's like uh, he got it. You know, immediately. And um, and he was pretty skeptical too. He um, but but he saw sort of what the the kind of possibilities were. And so he, I signed up. You know, I don't, I I I can't remember. I, I looked at what my first tweet was. You know, a little bit ago when when uh, that service came out to let you find it. And uh, it, it was something innocuous. Um, luckily, not about lunch, I don't think. But, um, but I remember, I, it took me a while to get it. Uh, and, and he and I were, he was, one, he was the first person I followed. And then, you know, he and I followed several other, like, engineers in our company. Uh, and a couple of people on the West Coast and stuff. And then I remember, maybe a month or two into it, something happened in the middle of the day. And I was like, "Oh, I should post that on Twitter like that's you know, and that was like my first light bulb moment of uh you know i I see what this could be, I see what this could do. It was like an insight on you know something that was happening in in the tech world and uh and from there, I was kind of hooked, right? once you have that first kind of aha moment of like this would be great to post on twitter uh and from there i was I was really into it, and uh you know it really replaced a lot of things for me um Scott mentioned IRC a lot of other kind of internet community things for me really migrated to Twitter it was you know i followed all the people that i that i trusted and really respected a lot of voices in the in the industry and made a lot of friends that way made a lot of connections with other journalists other leaders um other engineers and Um, folks in in the tech industry, and it really, you know, it really, that's who most of it was for the first couple years, I, I, I felt like, you know, it was just mostly tech industry people.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's, look, there are bigger social networks now, there are certainly more valuable companies, but... Um, Twitter has been a place where – it it sounds kind of silly to say this word, but thought leaders, people who were influencing culture or influenced by culture and had something to say about it were – the, flocking to, pun intended, uh, Twitter. Bill, what about you? You were at Tech Republic as well. Uh, did you sign up? Did Jason convince you to sign up uh, uh, with him, or did it take some time? It took some time.
3: I was the laggard here. I actually didn't sign up until 2008, so it would be a year after Jason signed up. And, you know, I was always one of those people that didn't use a lot of other social networking tools. You know, I connected with the people, my quote unquote, friends you would say through the traditional channels of text or of telephone calls or god forbid in-face communication right <laughs> and so i wasn't using twitter as or any other electronic means other than the ones i just mentioned you know the these social networks to really stay in touch with people outside of work so i came to twitter through work and like jason and like you just said you know it did become th- that's what I used it for, and it did become this place where you could share information with other people in tech, and you could share information, um, you could get information and share information from those thought leaders in tech. So that's the way I've, you know, to this day, you know, eight years later or ten years, eight years for me later, you know, ten years we're talking about the anniversary of Twitter here, eight years later, that's the way I've always approached Twitter because, you know, you've got a uh, you know, Twitter was originally I remember uh, pitched a lot of times. Hey, stay in touch with your friends all the time, right? And so my, ex- my early experiences with Twitter, for non-work or non-tech or non, you know, non-work related information, was a lot of day-to-day kind of really mundane updates that people yeah. were putting into their feeds. It's like, I'm standing in line at the grocery. I'm going to eat lunch. I'm driving in the car. I'm gonna, and I'm like. Why? Why do I really care? I, I don't really need a real-time stream of conscious thought you know, description of your life. And, and so I was kind of hesitant to, to jump right in until, you know, about 2008 when people really kind of, I, I think you saw a lessening of that. People started to figure out, hey, you know, People just really—I guess they still do. I, I unfollow those people, I guess, but nobody really wants to hear a minute-by-minute, minute, you know, half-hour-by-half-hour half update of my life. You know, that's not what this is for. It's for something else, and so a lot of people kind of—I don't know—the Twitter feeds seem to be cleaned up a little
0: bit. There wasn't yeah. so much static. I—I I think you know there were a few tipping moments in 2008, 2009. The the airplane uh, uh, crash on the Hudson River was mm-hmm. one of the first Twitter moments that was uh, captured and shared. It was one of the first viral moments. I, I remember those, those real early days, and even going back before uh, the launch of the service, uh, I think one of the key takeaways here is that a lot of innovation happens in recessions or in down economic times. And if you remember uh, the... early bubble, Uh, and right after that, I was living in California, living in this teeny little town called Sebastopol. Now, I was working at a bookstore, and one of our customers was this guy named Tim O'Reilly, the publisher of O'Reilly Books, Tech Books, and I remember him coming into the bookstore and, and talking my ear off about mobile, and I had just got a cell phone, and I remember him saying, no, everything you have, everything you want is going to be in your pocket, and that kind of stuck with me. And I think it's because Tim was was dialed into uh, innovation culture. Scott, you were just down the hill in San Francisco. Can you explain a little bit what that culture of innovation like you, was like at the time? You mentioned, uh, you know, Delicious and Flickr and those those early services, but what was the culture like in San Francisco at the time?
2: I mean, it was just nonstop events. There's always stuff going on and all these things launching and We'd go to all the various, you know, offices of all these companies. There's a thing called Lunch 2.0 that was happening, where a different company would host lunch, and we'd all go there and to that company. And funny thing is that's the first time I went to Facebook. They hosted a Lunch 2.0, which is almost impossible to imagine now. It was a public event. Zuckerberg was there. Tiny little thing in 2000. That was 2006, I believe. I mean, it was just crazy. And I think that's what fueled so many people. You know the, the desire to move to San Francisco was access to all these people and VC of course, too. You know All the BC companies would have parties. It was pretty crazy. And back to the how I found Twitter, it would have been an RSS, which I kind of, yeah. even though I use it daily, I forgot. That's basically TechCrunch and GigaOM wrote posts on it the day Twitter uh, released it on July 15th. And so it looks like I signed up two days later. So that's probably what happened. We just yeah. all saw it in our RSS feeds.
0: Google it, Reader. <laughs> RSS is is just kind of critical to... to. It, it was baked into the early days of Twitter. And I, I remember plugging yeah. RSS into my... R, or Twitter RSS feeds into my aggregator. And at first, I totally forgot about it. And, and then over time, it was like, oh, I have to disconnect Twitter RSS because it's taking over. You can kind of see the scale, that famous L curve of adoption. You, yes. It was like... Quiet chirps, quiet chirps, and then all of a sudden, this fire hose of stuff overtook my RSS feed.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I miss those days a little bit. You know, I, it's nice now. Twitter, Twitter's replaced RSS. I wrote an article about that, I think, a long time ago, 2009 or 10, probably, about I don't need RSS anymore. I just use Twitter. But at the same time, there, there are aspects of that I miss. You can, you can scan. You could scan a lot more headlines Um. In it more quickly, uh, in that I think the, the what you get is the trade off is you get a little bit more perspective, uh, especially as Twitter has evolved. And now, for example, when you tweet an article or retweet, you know, you can add a little bit of your own commentary with it, you know, instant analysis in a sentence. And there's value uh, in that, especially if you're, you know, disciplined about the people you follow. And, um, but but you do I do miss a little bit of that uh, I I feel like I, I took in more data as it were when when I, when I had the RSS feed and was just you know looking at this uh, this long list of links headlines you know Scott Scott
0: you uh, I oh, we shouldn't uh, underestimate the importance of XML and and RSS that was the fundamental underlying principle of podcasting as well uh, Scott you have just moved a lot of your your you've you've upped your feeds uh, I, I see in Twitter yeah. that you've, you've kind of moved from algorithms to feeds and that's actually really important a lot of the value of Twitter is that it is a real-time timeline uh, even though the company talks about going to an algorithmic model uh, I think for a lot of people the thing that distinguishes Twitter is that it is a timeline of uh, uh, it's it is one long chronology and that's exactly what RSS was like what's Scott, what advantages do you see to to RSS over the algorithmic world that we live in now?
2: Well, I mean, as a blogger, I want to see every post from the source that that I'm following. The problem is feeds have been removed from Instagram, and it's not on Facebook. I don't think it's on Twitter anymore. Uh, there are some services that will like generate feeds from you know like Instagram and Facebook, and I used stuff like that. But yeah, it's you know the algorithm doesn't work for me because I want to see everything, you know. Especially when it's, like, an artist or something that's occasionally posting, that stuff gets lost, you know. And a lot of them got abandoned with Google Reader shutting down, too, you know, because people stopped using Google Reader and it really hurt, you know, very small publications.
0: That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I I wonder if, uh, um, you know... that's somewhat of a, not a backlash to, to the Facebook or, or Googles of the world, but feeling this, you know, Bill, you said a moment ago that that you resisted Twitter because it was like, ah, I don't care about the ham sandwich some person is. I, I have real people in my life I want to connect with. But I, I wonder if, if RSS is kind of a way to, and Twitter, a way to harken back to those older days now, ironically.
3: You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that And I'll echo kind of what Jason and Scott were were just talking about. I mean, for me, I do want to see everything, right? So that's why I I, I like things in a chronological order. So I like being able to go in and see, hey, this is what this person that I'm following has done, what they've posted, what they've said, all the things. Um, And I don't really like the algorithms that pick and choose what and when I'm going to see things or what's important, what's not important because – I really don't feel like the algorithms know me that well. Um, But it is difficult. I will say this. It's difficult with Twitter because I do feel like I have to be really disciplined in who I follow because things get lost. You know, Mm. I just went through an exercise where I unfollowed 200 and some odd people. And because the things that were, and I follow about, before that it was about 700 people that I followed. And now I'm following around 500. But what I would find is the things that, the people I really cared about, the subjects that I really cared cared about, were getting lost or getting drowned out mm-hmm. um, amongst just sort of this sea of other stuff. And especially when there was a big event, um, whether what whatever the event was um, that was socially either a tragedy or an emergency or something that was socially important or whatever, what I found was people would tweet about that that normally wouldn't tweet about those kinds of issues, and so during for like three or four days and some people may want this. I didn't. I wanted to be more selective. I I use Twitter and all my tools very specifically. And so I I wanted to filter out all the rest of this stuff and just get kind of I don't know I do treat it like kinda like multiple RSS feeds. I, I kinda wish that. I mean I you can click on somebody and see all their tweets, but when you just go to the home and I see Okay, here's something from one person. Here's something from the next person. Here's something from the next person. All right, the next thing that Dan, maybe you tweeted, is three pages down, and you have to scroll down to get it. So I I think maybe that that sort of is what Twitter and all these services, you know, comes down to personal preference and personal use. I mean, that's how I use it, and maybe it's not how you use it. Maybe it's not how Jason uses it. Maybe it's not how Scott uses it. That's I the
1: beauty of it too yeah is, yeah, is that custom customizability to the way you consume information the way you learn the way you want to filter all that
0: I I do remember the the early days when you would uh, before Twitter had the lists feature and, and other third-party services would uh, create customized lists of thought leaders or influencers or really interesting people to follow. And I, I wonder what else has kind of changed since that era. Do you guys remember when it when Twitter was like, there wasn't an app. I mean, at first there was nothing except 40404. All you, The only thing you had was SMS. <laughs> right um, and the timeline was was just a timeline it was built in Ruby on Rails it didn't scale well you remember fail whale oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I Twitter has gone through this massive evolution but there was there's kind of a change between 2012 2013 when they were preparing to go public and they really shut down uh, and started charging for the the access to the feed before that uh, it there was you could go into the the app store and search Twitter and you would come up with hundreds of different apps and services. Uh you know, TweetDeck was one of those services and it really helped you kind of do bill like what you're talking about, filter out the noise and really dial in on on people and and, and I love TweetDeck. I
3: miss TweetDeck. I miss tweet tweet yeah. uh, the, the original, original TweetDeck. Tweet yeah. and, and you know, once they folded it into Twitter. I don't know. It just became much less
0: useful to me. I mean, I really I, missed the original app. I think that's almost on purpose. You you remember the reason Twitter bought TweetDeck was because yeah. Bill Gross's company uh, was he was starting to buy. I think he had about thirty percent of the the Twitter ecosystem in different apps, and you know that was a yeah. a real threat to to the company. So Twitter bought it and really didn't do much with it. Uh, but, man, I, I have such a fondness for, uh, you know, TweetBot in, in the early days, and, uh, oh, geez, what were some of the other
1: – that was a great little – Yeah. App that eventually, yeah, Twitter was. bought that. That became the Twitter app, but, um, but yeah. It did.
0: Surmise. You remember,
1: you know, mm-hmm. Twitter?
0: Wow. What's that, Scott? Yeah, yeah, I remember Surmise. That's just crazy. Yeah, but you could search Twitter in real time. Um, and it was most of the Twitter archive. It wasn't just you know whatever they offer you now, which is like the last couple of days of search or something. But it was um, the fire hose of Twitter data,
1: yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm an unabashed like lover of twitter. I, I do I, yeah. it's always been great. I, I've had my um I've had my issues with it, and I've I've sort of publicly written about a lot of them. But the um, it's funny you mentioned the list. Those were some of the the most widely trafficked articles that TR had, uh, Tech Republic had in um, you know 2010, 2011, before they launched lists. Uh, 2009, when uh, we used to do the list like who to follow. Here's your directory yeah. of best yep. tech people to follow on Twitter. And, uh, you know, that was when it was still mostly techies. I guess this, that was probably late. That was 2008, 2009. But um, And, you know, those things were super popular because it was really hard to figure out who to follow and who you follow made a big deal, made a you know, made all the difference. And, and I do feel like, um, you know, just to be honest, I, I do think it's gone off the rails a bit with trying to, uh, be a public company that is an advertising company. I yeah. feel like they'll they'll always. I wrote an article about this recently um, about Twitter's uh, sort of its true potential. Uh, I, I think that when it tried to become an advertising company, it did lose a little bit of its uh, its its core DNA because it's one. It's never going to win against Facebook. Facebook knows more so much more about its users. It's a closed loop. Um, you know, it's always going to lose that game, but where Twitter has this um, tremendous value, and where I think it still is is untapped and somewhat, you know, unrealized. I think inside the company is um, it is the live internet, and it is a source of data that is really unmatched in human history uh, to be able to, to understand, you know, what people are saying and thinking and um, Talking about and feeling about your product, about your country, about your government, about you know all of these things. There's never been a data source like this in human history. It has tremendous marketing value. It has tremendous social value, and we're just barely scratching the surface on on what's possible with it. And uh, because of that, I I've always felt like. Twitter um, should have embraced that open ecosystem with all of the the API and the clients and the thing, yeah. and they should have for, pushed that out to everyone. Let their let a thousand different flowers blossom, and then they have the value that they could be on the back end is to be this like amazing big data company that helps everybody, companies, governments, um, small businesses, startups. Use this data to figure out markets to, you know, be uh, to anticipate um, moves that they can make, markets they can enter, markets they shouldn't enter, um, consumer demand for their products. Some companies have figured out to do this in tremendously smart ways. You know, companies like Ford, they now use the Twitter feed and the, the um, you know, deep analytics and, and machine learning uh, to to mine that and and to use it to inform their sales forecasts. What are people Ford, saying about our products? You know all. Ford that.
0: was was one of the first companies that really saw the value of Twitter going back to 2007 or 2008. I remember they hired mm-hmm. this guy Scott Monty, and it was kind of a big deal that ah, we're not just a bunch of nerds. We're being validated by some of the the biggest companies out there. And there was you know that chase with with uh, CNN and Ashton Kutcher and uh, Oprah Winfrey, which were, you know, CNN's a company, but but it was all of this kind of validation of the service being exactly what you just described, Jason, a, a massive, yeah. almost protocol, less of a, a company and more of a more like email than anything else. We all kind of before we look at, you know, maybe what where Twitter has stumbled and then the future of the service, I the common thread here is that I think all of us feel this fondness for Twitter in ways that we just don't with other companies, and it's not that you know Facebook's not useful or Snapchat's not useful, but Twitter kind of gets at the heart of it. It tugs on the heartstrings for a lot of people, and I, I'm wondering, you know, Scott, Laughing Squid was you're not just a blog and a hosting company. Uh, Laughing Squid was kind of uh, the cultural documentation of San Francisco in that era, do you think that there's something more than just, you know, uh, an impersonal code in the heart of what Twitter was that kind of made it the thing that we all think back fondly on? Was there something in in the water in San Francisco or just something happening at that time that made it special?
2: Well, I think it's like you're saying because Ev had founded Blogger and we knew him from that. And I think that's what it is with a lot of, of, these, stars, of these stars, I mean, in the previous thing, you know, you, it's, it's different than just something out of the blue. But yeah, plus everybody that during that time was using Twitter, I mean, from that whole group, which was some pretty influential people who went on to do other things. So I think that's, you know, a little different. Like that's why people were so resistant to any kind of change to it, especially the algorithm thing. Uh, but it's never going to be like a Facebook, right? Because it's, I mean, I think if I have so few, like, old friends or relatives that ever use Twitter, they don't use Twitter. They use Facebook. With breaking news and that sort of thing, it just, that's, you know, you can't really, and Facebook's been trying to do that with trending, but still you're going to see it faster on Twitter if you're following the stream in in chronological order, you know. Um, that's the thing, too. I, I, people don't want to give up on that,
0: you know. It um, is, it is still the live internet um jason you've written a a ton about twitter and, and their business uh and and just a moment ago you, you hit on something really important and that is that uh they kind of lost something when they went to this advertising model uh what did they lose and could they get it back
1: yeah great i mean great question i, I think that you know one of the things the holdovers you, know, you guys have been talking about because you you know were on Blogger and ODO um, and Twitter you know in really early days um, you know were much more pioneering in that than I was but one of the things that I liked from that um, fr- from that the, I think Ev's contribution to that was this. Um, this sense of ever, giving everyone a voice, like that, that seems to be what he was most passionate about. I think he's carried that over to Medium too, um, where he really resisted ideas of, of uh, and, and movements toward um, censorship and, uh, uh, you know, even um, even filtering, you know, them as a site filtering, uh, you know, objectionable content and that kind of thing. His he had this very strong sense, I think, of um, of giving everyone a voice and a platform, um, and It had some sense of the limits. But you know that was really key, and and I think that that was that was his sort of unique contribution to the thing, and that is still true, I think, and that's why you've seen celebrities um, and uh, even brands um, embrace Twitter, right? Is because it's this opportunity. To get your message directly to people in an unfiltered way, yeah. um, and that's there, there's something really powerful about that. Also, for journalists, journalists embraced it right away. You know, tech industry embraced it right away for this this same opportunity to um, you, you know to have this unfiltered message. I think that's still there. I feel like the core of that um, is is still there, even as Twitter has kind of made some missteps and mistakes, which you know, is part of the game. All, all the big companies, you know, all great brands have done it. You know, Apple did it. Microsoft did it. Google certainly done it plenty of times. Um, so th- there's nothing that Twitter's done that is, um, you know, unforgivable or sort of complete game breaker. And I, I think that they still could, um, they still could embrace uh, some of that original DNA that made it the thing that people love about it. Um, and, and do it. And, and I think that a lot of things that they're doing, they're trying different things and trying to do things. You know, the moments, which I think has been, hasn't worked out well, I think is them trying to curate. Um, you know, that hasn't been great. Uh, also, the the stuff that you missed, like, I, I understand what they're going for there, and, and there's a good, there's good aspects of that, but it also, the way they've implemented it, it, gets in the way with its core value, which is this live, Twitter is the live internet. Like, it's the CNN. I remember... You know, most of the people that I know in journalism, uh, you know, we all used to, every time we heard of something through word of mouth, which is still the primary way through, that people hear of breaking, you know, most big breaking news events, is a decade ago, even two decades ago, we were turning on CNN, right? Um, three decades ago, even. Uh, it, it was, CNN sort of was that thing for, for a couple decades. Now, it's almost every one of them, it's on Twitter. Like, you, you immediately look to Twitter and you to figure out. Kind of what's happening um, right now, uh, and Twitter needs to take advantage of that. And like I said, there's a data story there that they can base their business model on. They should be, they should be the company that's helping you know build those tools for for uh, for businesses and governments and um, startups and entrepreneurs and everybody and uh, you know um, nonprofits, um all kinds of folks right that can benefit from this and can can better reach their users, can better understand their users, can better understand trends uh, and all of those things. Twitter should be the, the they should really build their business around that because because I feel like eventually that's going be you know that's gonna be the 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 core differentiator That's like a defensible business if you're thinking like in business terms right yeah nope, nobody else on earth has what they have um, in in that same way.
0: Bill, uh, what about you? Especially from a business point of view, uh, could uh, Twitter's indispensable to business in the same way that every social media service is? But is there a way Twitter could get their mojo back? Do they have to stay a public company, or could they be bought by somebody? If so, by whom? I don't know. I mean, I do
3: think it would really depend on by whom. I mean, you, which because what you don't want is is, is Jason's talked about you don't want the feeling that someone is censoring the feed or that someone has an agenda in the delivery message I mean especially as journalists you know we like in modern times the idea of independent of objectionable kind of uh, reporting as much as possible right and so the last thing you want is someone coming in and you know your readers um, your audience feeling like that whoever's distributing the message or delivering the message um has an agenda of their own that you're not aware of or they have a hidden agenda so they're filtering the news, right? They're filtering what you can say. They're filtering what you can see and so I would be really wary um, if it wasn't the right kind if it wasn't another media company maybe that came in and bought Twitter, right? It wasn't if it was a company that didn't have that had their own agenda then what you what would you do? Maybe, you know, you could have a big data company come in and sort of so that we're going to work this into our big data play Um, that didn't have any sort of outward designs on, uh, you know, on controlling the flow of information back and forth. I mean, I I wish they would move to a non-advertising-based model. I mean, I hate promoted tweets. Um, I click the X in the browser every time they come through. I can't stand them. I never once... Have clicked on an ad in a promoted tweet and say, "Hey, this is fantastic. I'm going to look at this." Uh, don't know whether they like hearing that or not, but to me, I completely just ignore them. Um, on my and I hate on my mobile device that I actually have to like go into the tweet itself to get rid of the uh, the promoted tweet or the the ads, right? So I'm I'm with Jason. I would love to see them. Uh, find another way to monetize this immense amount of information yeah. that they have that doesn't rely on... Basically, just, again, it's clogging up my Twitter feed with more static. I mean, it's, it's not... And, you know, just for a note, I don't know if anyone else does this. You guys tell me. Like, the only way to get an ad to disappear on the mobile, to, at least for me, on my mobile device, I have to tell it why I don't want it to appear. So you have to say either it appears too often or it's offensive or it's not relevant. I put offensive every time, <laughs> even yeah, if I'm not really go, offended by the ad because, you know, it's just there's no other option. It's not like on the desktop where I just click the X and it disappears. No no, I have to say something. So, I mean, maybe I'm skewing the data a
0: little bit well, for those people. But, but I but still, wonder that's, that goes to Jason's point about Facebook just having – they know more about you and, and are a better advertising-based business because they have better data. And I that's – that teeny amount of data that Twitter has about you, it, it's already – I wonder how many people are, are also just telling Twitter. I'm offended by the fact that there's I, – I remember once Dave Weiner, uh, who was an early developer of XML and RSS, uh, an early proponent of Twitter once said, you know, I will, I will gladly pay – let me pay a fee to use Twitter without ads, but I'll never use – and Dave's hyperbolic, but he said I'll never use Twitter if they use ads uh, in large part because I kind of cut against the soul of the company instead of being – a, a advertising based business. He he thought Jason a lot like you think that this is this is a data company. This is a utility. This is a protocol, and they should embrace that instead of uh, trying to play catch up. I I really remember, I I would go to conferences, and I, I was a kid in South Dakota in my mid twenties, and I remember feeling like. Twitter is the democratization of the dissemination of information, and I can, from South Dakota, from the middle of nowhere, where once I felt very isolated and like I was in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden I could talk to, you know, you could talk to Biz or Ev, and you could talk to people like Dave Weiner or, I, you know, Adam Curry, and feel like I, I'm not alone here. I, I'm a nerd. I'm a programmer, and I'm a media guy, and there are other people like me, and. Although Facebook did a better job of, of connecting friends and uh, even MySpace did a better job at the time of connecting musicians and people who really loved music culture, Twitter was that thing that kind of connected everyone. Scott, is there, is there something that Twitter could do to get their soul back?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Right. It's because now they're a public company and there's so much pressure on them. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then everyone thinks they should get bought, but then I don't know how that's going to solve it, unless they somehow could spin back out as a, as an independent company. Um, yeah, it's weird they don't do the you know, paid version of it to, give extra features and remove ads. It seems like no one really wants to do that. Like Facebook doesn't do that. Yeah. You know, I I always joke that I would gladly pay Facebook to disable comments on Facebook pages. Yeah, <laughs> that would save yeah. us so much time, I mean, that would, it would be a huge, huge thing for us, but they're never going to do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird just to see this, this, you know, cycle every few months of, oh, what's Twitter going to do? But yet they survive, you know, and it's, I don't know, I guess it depends on what the goal is, you know, for them. I guess it's to answer really? to the shareholders, I suppose, but I mean, is there,
3: is there a business model that's not advertising based or, that's not direct fee for services based like that would work for Twitter. So we, we we've been talking about this big data play and the mining play and sort of charging, not the users, but charging, uh, companies and governments and who are entities to sort of mine this data, but allowing people to put information into the data, uh, pile for free, right. Or allowing them to use the services as, you know, the, the, the trade off for, creating this massive database that then can be mined uh, monetarily. Um, I mean, would you pay for Twitter outright? I mean, that's the thing. I I don't know whether I would. You know, I'm in the media, and it's part of my job. So either I would pay or Tech Republic, you know, would would pay for for me to disseminate and talk to to things about Twitter. But you were just talking about this, Dan. It's the democratization of information dissemination. So... It doesn't matter whether you all you have to do is have a smartphone or a phone, uh, a computer, some way to hit the internet and you can get on Twitter, right? You don't have to pay anything else. Well, if you had to pay a dollar a month, two dollars a month, three dollars a month, then that changes the equation on the democratization of yeah. information. If you can't afford it, you know it, if you can't afford to disseminate that information, then Twitter's only for people who can afford it, quote unquote, even if it's yeah, a small and you lose amount, the mojo that and way. you lose the mojo that way. So I'm just, you know, as Scott says, I don't know what the you know I don't know if there is a way to get get back to that um, completely sort of pure platform play or uh, service
2: so
1: play. I think the answer I think there's a two pronged business model for them there. Um, one uh, is the data play, which honestly we don't even really know the size of that business because there's nothing anything there's never been anything quite like it. But because of that, and because they are the only one that can make that play, and because companies' big data capabilities, and also the world's big data capabilities with Hadoop, and Cloudera, and um, you know R, and all kinds of you know tools that we have now um, to do this in in much smarter ways, and to combine unstructured data like Twitter and like Google Trends, um, and then lay that over top of your company's. Yeah. Corporate data, you know, all of those capabilities make the world ripe for what Twitter has. I think the work this wasn't possible eight years ago, ten years ago, but it is possible today, and we're really just waking up to the capabilities and the value of it. So, so a lot of that there's a lot of future growth in that, um, which as a public company, obviously, is is what you know they have to bank their um, you know their business on. Um, the other part of what they can do, and I feel like the maybe other part of, the, of a two-pronged business model for them, would be all of the social media management, social media marketing, right? They should buy Social Flow. They should buy Sprinkler. They should buy a bunch of, of these um, you know things that essentially help you run your Twitter feed if you're a business and a big organization in smart ways. And they can help you run other social media. Um, as well but primarily so many of them where they put a lot of their effort of course is Twitter because Twitter is that unfiltered feed with your most valuable fans in a way that Facebook will never be because Facebook mostly if you're a business you're a brand you're having to pay um, for play you know to get uh, to get put in front of users because users don't like to see brands on on Facebook by and large they want to see you know people do two things I joke with Facebook right they they whine and they share pictures like that's mostly what you expect when you go to Facebook you know when when you're on Twitter um, you know it is more of an expectation of news and of um, more real time kind of experience so Twitter's other prong could be just taking advantage of the what people are already doing which is brands and businesses using this great tool to have this unfiltered experience with their audience and helping them manage that um offering consulting services uh along with that that help them do it well so many brands are actually really bad at it not only do yeah. they do they not have good tools and some of these tools I mentioned some of them but they're not very good to be honest we've used lots of them we used them for years they, they're, they're kind of okay they're just good enough um Hootsuite was one that people used for a long time and were really um, hot on, and it's kind of fallen out of favor. But giving them the ability, you know, tools to manage their, um, their Twitter presence and analytics to help them understand how they're doing with that and to optimize it, that's another huge potential business for them. Like those two pronged businesses, um, I feel like uh, are potentially much bigger businesses and could help them sort of you know, regain some of their soul, or what the real value of the product is, which is, you know, let it be, you know, the dial tone of the internet, let it be a platform, let it be, um, you know, this, this great service that, uh, that, that isn't cluttered up by advertising. And that could be one of its, um, you know, ways that it can use a, against other uh, social media platforms uh, as well to, to, you know, sort of tell their story of what they are, what their mission is.
0: Yeah, I, I think that also represents a, a great opportunity for us to ask you, uh, the person listening to this, uh, what you think. I, Jason, I, I think I tend to agree with you. We have so much more in terms of big data optimization tools than we had 10 years ago, and we have pretty mature enterprise companies in selling B2B data uh, and optimization tools is, is a, a solid business these days. But really, I, I'd love to hear from you if you're listening to this. Uh, either leave a comment at techrepublic.com, uh, you can always ping us on Twitter at techrepublic, uh, or anybody on the show at Bill Detweiler, at Jason Heiner, at Scott Beale, and Laughing Squid. I'm at Dan Patterson. Let us know did Twitter lose its mojo if so how could it get it back and what's the business model that lets Twitter's soul be what it is and at the same time flourish and grow I I think that it 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 could be that we've just lost it to this sea of social media tools and it's just a commodity it's one of a million different networks that people promote things on or it could be that Twitter was a defining uh, it it wasn't just a a company or a social app. Twitter was, was a thing that defined a generation and it could be that again. So we'd love to hear what uh, you have to say. Uh, Bill, Jason and Scott, thanks a a lot for joining the show. Other than Twitter, Scott, where can we find you uh, on internet?
2: What other social networks? Um, Well, I post to Instagram, uh, Kind of what do you mean for, for feedback? No, it's just the,
0: the best way, yeah, the best way to find you on the web.
2: Well, my blog. Now, not, not me, but that's, I mean, laughingsquid.com is the blog itself. And then, uh, of course, we're on Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's funny, going back to the Twitter thing, when it, when it first launched, I actually did everything under laughing squid, not realizing how big it would be, and it was talking in first person, and then later on split it out to be just for the blog, and then you know, launch my own Twitter account, which is uh, at Scott Beal. Um, yeah, those are the, really, Twitter. Twitter is really the best place yeah, to have those companies.
1: Find accounts. us <laughs> on Twitter. Right. right. Uh, that's pretty much all of us, right? Find us that, on Twitter. That's right. There's really nothing else.
0: It, it is the thing where we tell, you know, I don't tell people, get a hold of me on Facebook or get a hold of me on Snapchat. No. I know that those come and go, but really, like, you know, I, I, I was having a conversation with guys outside of my hotel. They all work in enterprise tech, and none of us, had business cards, we're just like, you just follow me oh, on Twitter. It's okay. <laughs> a <little laughs> lot easier.
2: Well, you so, can do it. I mean, it's hard to just mess. I don't think you can if you're not following someone. I mean, the privacy controls on that. But with Twitter, you can just randomly yep. at someone like that. And,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. So. it's amazing. You know what Twitter reminds me of, as you were saying that, Dan? Um, you know, your last bit was that, do you remember like Apple in the 90s? When it was really kind of in the toilet. Um, yeah. uh, and things aren't quite that bad for, for Twitter. But it still had sort of this diehard core of people that really loved it and loved it for what it originally meant, loved it Love for it. The, brands. the brands. And Twitter has and a Twitter bit of that. Mojo. that mojo.
2: Yeah. Well, we already had we already had the Steve Jobs come back to Twitter in the form of Jack. So that. we already have that
1: right
2: (laughs) i mean but we could all just buy it maybe we'll buy it and take it private
0: all right so all twitter really needs is uh steve jobs Uh, (laughs) all right thanks for listening to the tech republic podcast my name is dan patterson and you can find us on twitter thanks for listening